Big thanks to our title sponsor, Blooming Smiles Pediatric Dentistry. Dr. Arpita Patel has a beautiful, modern, and upscale pediatric dental office in Charlotte, North Carolina. She and her experienced staff treat children of all ages and special needs patients. They create a comfortable, stress-free, and memorable dental experience for both the child and parent, starting with earning your child's trust and always catering to their individual needs. They're proud to offer the Waterlays Plus laser system they call Princess Poppy. It's an alternative method, which means no injections, shots, or drills. They genuinely share kindness, patience, compassion, and fun. Who you calling crazy? Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. This episode originally started out as just an interview with experts on substance use and addiction. In order to keep it in line with the mission of the podcast, I really wanted to bring on a personal story because that's what helps really normalize and demystify misconceptions that people have about mental illness and certain struggles. So we have someone on sharing their story of sobriety and she'll walk us through that and the reasoning behind staying anonymous for this interview. You know, nobody speaks for um, a program of recovery. Like we only have our experience and that's, you know, that's what brings us in and that's what um, keeps us here and that's what we share with other people and it's not about a personality. And so, you know, they're anonymous programs and um, it's interesting because people are like, well, if they're anonymous and, you know, you can't even find them on a Google search because all the paid ads come up then is this still the right approach in this day and age? Like how do people find these programs or these meetings or whatever? And so, um, so I thought about, uh, you know, identifying myself and being nonspecific about the um, 12 step affiliation. And then I thought that that would be really hard. I've been doing it for so long and I was afraid that I would like slip Mm. And so I think the best thing to do is just to remain anonymous. It's not because I have any shame about being in recovery. I don't. It has given me absolute life of purpose and um, just beyond my wildest dreams. Like you kind of can't get from where I was to where I am here other than just like something miraculous and powerful. Um, And so I have no shame about that. And I share it candidly with other people. Uh, one-on-one, but I think that in a public level, it's probably, it's just not in keeping with the traditions of the program that we don't break our anonymity at the rate, at the level of press, radio, and films. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that there are 12 traditions that go along with the 12 steps. And so the 12 traditions kind of govern, you know, for lack of a better way to say that, but they're like the guidelines for how groups should conduct themselves and how we should conduct ourselves outside of meetings. And one of them, the 11th tradition is that Alcoholics Anonymous is based on attraction rather than promotion. Yeah. Therefore we need maintain our anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Okay. And so that's, that's why attraction rather than promotion. So kind of this idea of people, we want people to want to be here and to be pulled or called to this. Okay. Right. And so it's, it's interesting because, and so this is the catch 22, right? Because if, if nobody knows that I ever had an issue with alcohol, then they'll think I'm just a regular old person just living life. And they wouldn't know to say, how did you stop Mm -hmm. drinking? Mm -hmm. You know, 
Um, and so, or how did you, what did you do? And so that's why I think that right. it's important for me to not be so secretive about my recovery in social settings and in, in you know, places where I'm around people, um, to not be secretive about it because people have to, you know, the people who need to hear that message, their ears are going to prick up and they're going to reach out and say, can you tell me more about that? But I also like that it gives more agency to the individual because not every person is at that place in their recovery or in their sobriety right? where, where they'd want to welcome that conversation or be mm-hmm. able to exactly. open yep. that dialogue. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it protects this almost like, I mean, the sacred nature of what yeah. this recovery program right. is for you. Right. Well, the thing is that, you know, we talk about anonymity and anonymity means a lot of different things to me. Anonymity is about it's sort of like whatever the force or the energy is that's not linked to a person. It just works for the people. It just it just it's just there. And it's not about me. It's not about someone else. It's not about who's secretary of the meeting. It's not about you know, we don't have any president of AA and, um, you know, it's a ground up, um, it's a ground up kind of thing. What will, what are you willing to share with us about just your mm-hmm. journey to mm-hmm. sobriety yep. in particular? Yep. Um, so what happened for me is, um, I, uh, I got sober, I stopped all that, or I had my most recent drink, um, decades ago. Mm -hmm. And I was, um, there's really nothing glamorous about my story. I was, um, I was a, I was a, you know, I was somebody who started drinking early. Um, you know, I come from a really religious home where all that kind of stuff was very taboo. And so of course, being a good defiant young person, like I was, that was exactly the thing that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that I just already had, um, you know, some kind of abnormal reaction to alcohol before I ever took a drink because the first time I drank, I got very drunk and blacked out and, um, nobody could tell I was drinking. Mm. Like I was told later that I seemed fine. Wow. So that's like, as a young person, not having any experience around alcohol. And like, there was just something about it that I was just like, I'm good, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I can just keep on going. Exactly. So I, I became a daily drinker at a pretty young age um, and then I, you know, I drank through, you know, I, you know, I would get in trouble. I didn't get in trouble every time I drank, but every time I drank or every time I got in trouble, it was yes. because of drinking, got if it. that makes sense. Got it. But like it wasn't a disaster every single time, but every single time I had a disaster, yes. alcohol was involved. Yes. So, um, so anyway, so I, you know, and then some bad things happened. Like I was, um, I'm a sexual assault survivor and that happened when I was in college and I was already drinking, I think, alcoholically before that. Um, You know, one look at my transcript would tell you that (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had gotten in some trouble in high school and whatnot. And so I had this happen to me in college and rather than access the help that was offered, which was, do you, you know, we can get you into therapy. We can, this is a long time ago, but like, these are the, you know, these are the ways that you can handle this and not have it completely decimate your life. Um, I just drank. Mm-hmm. My solution was, was drinking. Yeah. And so that took me, you know, I kind of think about that. That was sort of like the express train <laughs> because I was just so, um, 
you know, I just became so habituated to drinking at that point, and I couldn't kind of tell the true from the false and, you know, mm-hmm. normal friends that I had started keeping arm's distance from me because I was just nutty. And did anyone say anything? I did have some people say something to me, but I never had a lot of times, you know, in college, you don't really know how to handle that. Sure. And you also, what I also did and what's really common for drinkers and for people who have addiction is that we tend to find people that drink like we do. Sure. So well, and you're in college, so you've got that. Right. Exactly. Right. It's uh-huh. celebrated and we, yeah, <laughs> that's what you, you do. Find, exactly. You can always find somebody mm-hmm. who's going to do that. And so, you know, there's a thing in our literature that talks about, you know, more than most people, an alcoholic leads a double life. You know, we are the person that we present outwardly and then we're the person that we feel like we are inside. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I definitely had that from a very young age because I knew when I started drinking that it wasn't the right thing to do. But I had this thing in me that was just like needed to do it. <sighs> so I looked really good on the outside. You know, I made good grades and I sang and I, you know, I was very high functioning and, um, you know, danced and I was a cheerleader. But yeah, outside looking in, she's outside looking in. I had everything together. And on the inside, I always just felt like I was missing the secret handshake. <sighs> like I always felt like an imposter. Yeah. But didn't, didn't tie that to the alcohol use. Like the alcohol helped you feel like you fit in, helped you numb some of those feelings. Um, maybe I think that, I think that I drank because, yeah, I guess that's, I guess you could say that. Like I drank because I didn't, I couldn't handle mm-hmm. the friction of feeling like I didn't know what I was doing. And it just okay. was, yeah, I don't think it was obviously not conscious like that. I wasn't saying I feel uncomfortable in my skin. Therefore I need to find something that will help me feel comfortable. But alcohol absolutely did that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, I just stayed in trouble and I stayed, you know, like I couldn't stay in school and, you know, things just got worse and worse. And I finally, um, you know, lost a couple of jobs because of drinking and I couldn't blame it on anything else. Um, It was just about drinking. Mm -hmm. And I moved back to Charlotte and um, met somebody who started talking to me about their sobriety. Mm. And they talked to me about their sobriety they didn't tell me what I should do about my issue. They just told me what it was like for them so that when, you know, woke up that morning, I knew who to call. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. That gives me chills because that, I mean, that goes for any struggle where absolutely when you feel that it's normalized and someone's not judging or Mm -hmm. critiquing or giving that unsolicited advice, but just kind of validating things that they didn't even know necessarily you were thinking and feeling. Right. Absolutely. Then there's a lifeline in that. And, 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 you know, you know, AA is not magic. It's not magic. I mean, like the principles of the steps are, are existent in all philosophies and religions all over the world, you know, like, you know, ask for help, Yeah. you know, (laughs) use that help, you know, get clean with yourself, get clean with other people, try to help other people. I mean, like that's, that's basically it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not, it's just not magic. And you sit in rooms with people and you come to relationships with people who are not judging, who have exactly, if they don't have the same experience, they have the same feelings about their experiences, whatever they were. And in hindsight, I, I mean, like I had a long way to go. Like I felt like I was the worst of the worst of the worst when I came into, you know, into the fellowship 
but um but i was like you know basically i was just like a lightweight <laughs> you know i just couldn't stand the heat and mm-hmm. um, i've seen it get a lot worse for people situationally yeah yeah i mean you do hear sometimes that people you have to hit rock bottom to get yeah. there do you right. do you think that's true I mean, the bottom is a moving target. I mean, it depends on what your rock bottom is, right? You know, I mean, my rock bottom as, you know, a privileged white girl, you know, with a stable family profile and, you know, the the opportunity to go to college and all that stuff like rock bottom for me was not as bad as like rock bottom for somebody who's had a much different life experience. Sure. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you, can you speak to like making that first call? So when you woke up that morning and knew who to call or yeah. when you decide to really enter either treatment or rehab or a group or, mm-hmm. um, that first step is, is really hard. Yeah. So I had had, um, so for about a year, like my life was getting worse and worse, observably worse by other people and feeling worse, honestly, to me, like I was like, this isn't something's out of control. Um, never able to put two and two together. Like I'd make statements like, you know, I need to clear my mind. I'm going to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> People yeah. like, you, know, you don't want to drink. And I was like, no, I do want to drink actually. Um, and, uh, so I had had two people who had, um, who had gotten sober, uh, where I was, where I was living and they were both musicians and they both had their careers just absolutely explode. They, they started getting songwriting contracts. You know, one guy moved to Nashville. He had always been playing like bars and dives in the town where I was. And then, you know, he got sober and he was, you know, whatever happened, but like he was able to be productive, you know, he's yeah. able to, and to step into his talent and his promise. And, you know, those of us still at the bar were always like, yeah, I know poor so-and-so, you know, he can't even take a drink. Isn't that just too bad? And you're like, well, you know, he's living in Nashville and he's writing for whomever now, but you know, it's right. just really too bad. He can't have a beer. <sighs> You know, I mean, just like the yes, the yes. distortion, you know, so, yeah, um, so the, both of those people had tried to 12 step me 12 stepping is when people share their experience with with a someone who drinks. And so okay. they had both tried to, you know, talk to me about their drinking. And I was just I couldn't hear it. I was always just like, why are you telling me this? Mm. You know, I just couldn't put two and two together. So I had moved back to Charlotte and um, was working with somebody who had been sober for, you know, a few years. And he, we became friends and we would sit out for lunch together and such. And he talked to me about his drinking anyway. So I had called myself alcoholic for a long time and thought nothing of it. I was just like, well, whatever, you know, alcoholic, I drink all the time. I didn't understand what that meant. Got it. I didn't understand like the spin out of that. Okay. And so you know, something about those conversations with him that, you know, when I woke up the morning after my most recent drink, I just remember thinking, oh my God, I didn't mean to do that. And then the next thought, and I still get chills when I think about this, my next thought was, oh my God, I haven't meant to do any of this. Mm. And that's when I realized what alcoholism was. That I was not changing my mind to drink. I was not deciding to drink every day. I was drinking because I was under a compulsion and a mental obsession to drink. And I was going to drink even when I didn't want to, especially when I didn't want to. And so I, you know, I went into work that day and I asked him and he told me where there was a meeting and I went to a meeting the next day. 
Yeah. And um, I did not go to rehab. Um, rehab wasn't as much of a thing then okay. um, as it is now. I just started going to meetings. Unfortunately, in Charlotte, there are so many meetings. And mm-hmm. so meetings have different personalities. Like there's a young people's meeting that meets at 10 o'clock every night. And it's, you know, it's a very different vibe than, you know, more structured meetings. And, you know, you can just find, mm-hmm. you can find a meeting. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask you to speak to the, the when people say it's a choice. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of what, what you just did was mm-hmm. it's hard for people to understand it as a disease, mm-hmm. as a, um, mm-hmm. the words you bullshit. Use. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so I kept thinking, so what it looked like for me is I would wake up with a horrible hangover and my hangover resided in my belly. I felt like I was going to vomit for like a decade because I just, uh, that's just where it was. I didn't have headaches or any of that. It's just like nausea. And so, um, so I would wake up and I would think, Ooh, I'm not gonna, I'm not drinking today. And then about three Mm o'clock I would feel better. And I would think, you know, I wonder what so-and-so is doing. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll just stop on the way home Mm -hmm. and I would drink every day, Mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kept thinking that I was deciding to drink that day. Yes. That's what I mean. Like, like this I was, was an intentional changed, choice. Like I was changing my mind. I'm just changing my mind. Yeah. And it wasn't changing my mind. Yeah. My mind was made up. I was going to, it was just, you know, right. I really couldn't have said, I'm not going to drink today. Mm-hmm. Never was seemed like an option to me. Yeah. And that's where like then each day mm-hmm. you were having to make hundreds of different choices after that. Like once you are right. in recovery of what am I going to do instead? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Ooh, and I, I mean, what an recovery for any mental illness is, is exhausting uh-huh. and the hardest, bravest thing anybody can do. But you know, here's the thing, Juliet, mm-hmm. is that the, the magic I think of 12 steps are that I don't think about drinking And I don't think about not drinking. Yeah. Like I don't think about it. I can, I can count on one hand, knock on wood, the times that I have thought it would be really nice to have a drink right now Mm -hmm. in like 30 years. Yeah. Cause it is. Yeah. Because the, the issue with me, like, like the alcohol is not the problem. The alcohol is a symptom. The problem is that I can't handle life on life's terms. I, I can't follow through. I disappoint people. I'm insecure. I'm, you know, whatever it is, I'm afraid of everything. And so the alcohol, you know, takes away the friction that's necessary for that change. That's it. For to grow up. And so if I can, if I can use the steps and have the guidance of a sponsor and, you know, do the, and you really don't have to do very much. I mean, that's the thing is like for what I have to put in to maintain and grow my sobriety in balance to what I have gained from it and the gifts of it, it's not even in the same, Yeah, not even in the same universe. Yeah. It's beautiful. So, you know, it's just, the problem gets removed. That's the thing that's wild about 12 step recovery is that it just gets removed. Yeah. It just gets yeah. removed. Not an option. It just doesn't, it, it doesn't occur to me. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't occur to me. Uh-huh. And was, most, it that, was it that way early on? I got, I was relieved of the obsession to drink pretty early on. Yeah, Yeah, I was, I was just, I just think that there's a real grace and kind of a miracle and finally saying, okay, I need help. 
Mm-hmm. The surrendering. Yeah. I just, I, I need help. And it's not a surrender of defeat. It's like this thing over here. Yeah. I am spending so much time and energy trying to manage and control a thing that I cannot manage and control. I am going to give that up Yep. so that I can have something else change that. And, and then I can get on with the business of living my life. Yeah. And, and that's true empowerment. <laughs> Right, exactly. Like I, I don't even I don't need to show up for that fight. I will lose that fight every time. So just yeah. don't show up the fight. Is there room for therapy amidst twelve step programs? I know you know a lot of the women that I sponsor have therapists. Um, you know some of the really, you know some kind of we we call them like the the like the big book thumpers, the old timers. Um, I think especially in the South, you can get this ilk of of um, sober people who. Um, will say, you know, every, the answer to every problem I've ever had is in the this 164 pages of this book. That has not been my experience. Um, I have, um, uh, I have learned, realized, had the experience of being diagnosed with depression since I've been sober. And I think that in hindsight, I probably was self-medicating with alcohol. Um, and, uh, so I am under a doctor's care for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people that don't need that. And I know a lot of people that do need that. And, you know, the our literature is very explicit. It says we do not have all the answers. You know, that's what doctors and professionals are for. We encourage you to seek outside help. It says that in our literature, we encourage you to seek outside help. And, um, and I just, you know, you know, my sponsor is not my lawyer. She's not my business manager. She's, you know, she has experience staying sober. And so I talked mm-hmm. to her about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's room for all of it, depending on whatever someone's particular yeah. journey is. Yeah. I mean, AA is really about, or 12 steps are really about the principles, right? It's about the principles. It's not about the pragmatism. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's the principles of like, you know, trying to tell the truth and being accountable and, um, you know, trying to be helpful to other people and um, staying true to yourself. And I mean, just like it's the yeah. principles of those kind of things that, um, that give you the foundation for moving into the and self-honesty, right? Like to be self-honest and to say, I am not handling whatever this thing is. Yep. Or here's what I need. Or, you know, yeah. I need some help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Last thought. And I, I, just to reiterate, because it has felt even as a mental health professional mm-hmm. where substance use addiction is not my specialty. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it feels like this closed off community, just that like, I, I don't belong in. Right. Like, and mm-hmm. so then, um, where is it okay to kind of ask these questions or get more information? And so I really love the words you put to the anonymous is not because of shame or Mm -hmm. being exclusive. Mm -hmm. Right. The anonymity is because of. Exactly. The anonymity is because no one speaks for the 12 step program. That's it. No one person. Thank you for sharing your story. And again, that's, it is your unique story. Um, But I think it does give insight into something that is, you know, people's relationship with alcohol is in any substance is, is very individualized. And especially throughout the pandemic, when other coping skills were removed for people, I think the stats are showing that that's what people are. A lot of people are turning different ways. So I think we're going to continue to hear more and more about, Mm -hmm. about this and what people need for support around it. 
I hope so. I hope it. De- I hope this hel- helps to demystify it for some folks because I'm just like a regular person. Right. Right. You know, I'm just like, a, I'm like, I'm, I'm like a married woman. I've got a couple of kids. I worry about my kids just like everybody else, you know, yeah. I've got an aging parent. I mean, yes. I'm just a regular old person. I'm just not destroying my life with alcohol anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm so grateful for her and her willingness to share her journey and her relationship with alcohol and recovery. And now we're going to shift and do something a little bit differently. I usually just have a therapy highlight at the end of each episode, but this time we're going to have conversation and dialogue with two experts here in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, around substance use and addiction. And I hope that you learn something and have some takeaways from their expertise. Thanks for listening. It's a pleasure to be here. I am Valerie Kopetsky, and I have the honor of being the CEO at Anubia Prevention and Recovery Center here in Charlotte. Hello, everyone. I'm Kiva Walton. I'm CEO for Mecklenburg County Alcoholic Beverage Control Board here in Charlotte, Mecklenburg. That is great. So our substance abuse experts in our city. I'm so grateful to have you guys here. And it's our first time having multiple guests at once. So this is going to be a rich conversation, I'm sure. So to kick us off, guys, um, we always start off with just having our guests share a little bit about your own journeys with mental health. And so I'd, I'd love to hear from you what you're willing to share. I am like most people and most listeners out there. I have uh, seen firsthand uh, folks who have struggled with mental health and or addiction issues, whether it's been family members or friends. Uh, I've also had the the privilege to see some, but not all, uh, get into recovery and in their recovery journey. So that that is certainly where it comes from, from a personal perspective for me. Yeah. Yeah. Like Val, I, I mean, I think we all have seen up close, whether it's family or, or personally, I'd say, you know, we've all had some degree of stress in our lives, career, and that's a degree of a mental challenge, right? You know, it may not be as intense as others, but we've all been there at some point, sometimes greater than others. And, um, you know, to rely on uh, family, friends, and sometimes professionals, if, if, if that's helpful. And, and certainly I've had career coaches to kind of help me through those stressful career times. And uh, so I, I've, put that in that category. But, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm a big community person. And so, you know, I, I've seen and see the stress on the streets, if you will. And to me, it's in the eyes and you can see the distress in the eyes. Mm. Um, and um, that, that moves me to do something. Mm. I see it in the eyes. That's really powerful because that's you saying, I, I'm going to look you in the eyes yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm going to yeah. see your journey and I'm going to see you. Yeah. 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 Cause it's easy to, for any of us to make judgments about what the exterior says. Um, that's right. Um, but you see it in the eyes. Um, at least I do. Anyway. And, and both of you mentioned that we, we either know of someone or, or that we are definitely all touched by someone who struggles with addiction. What are the, the stats around that? What are the numbers? 
Sure. So, you know, I can speak to just the alcohol use and, and particularly, you know, anecdotally, we've all said, oh, um, you know, we know family members or, or we ourselves have increased uh, the use of alcohol. But the Journal of uh, the American Medical Society said that um, it's, it's increased significantly overall and all adults year over year, alcohol use, alcohol consumption has increased uh, 14%, which I think is probably uh, underreported, if we're honest. And, right. and then the interesting part about it is year over year, um, that same study has said that women have increased excessive alcohol consumption by 41%, which, which you know, shows that there's, there's a difference there as well. But, but regardless of the statistics, you know, what, what I'm, I'm here to say is that if you're seeing it in yourself or in your loved ones, um, that now's the time to to seek help. So it, it, to your point about, you know, we may not all know diagnoses, nor should we. Um, if we're seeing something, we should say something. And, and I know that sounds trite, um, but that's certainly the truth. And, and Kiva spoke to the eyes. You know, we know the ones that we're surrounded with. We know when they're struggling. And so it never hurts to, to reach out, to seek help. Um, to take that first step, which is the hardest, um, and and to seek help and and let the experts uh, discern, you know, what this misuse is. Is it really something that is um, is turning toward uh, a disorder, or is it something that just may need a little bit of help in this in this time? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agree. Why do you think it's so hard for people to take that first step? Well, you know. I'm- Pride is a, is a terrible thing, <laughs> you know, and we all want to be well. Mm. And then we to admit anything less than that is uh, compromising myself or seen as compromising myself. In some mm-hmm. way. And so unfortunately, my perspective is, is that it has to almost just rock bottom for someone to realize Oh, it's me, particularly, you know, those folks who see themselves in a certain light. And, you know, I'm I'm an upstanding citizen. I'm a productive member of society. I'm I'm all the list of things that uh, I should be. So I can't have a problem. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That that would be my perspective. Sure. Piggyback on what Kiva's saying, you know, that's what what really drives me and, and a lot of us at Anubia in our work, which is that. You know, there is no demographic, you know, substance mm-hmm. use um, and, and mental health issues. They, they know no demographic, right. know ethnicity, no geography. And so it's, it's a disease. It's a brain disease that affects every population. And but but to your point, Juliet, and that's what I love about this podcast is for some reason, though, it's a brain disease. There's still even in today's world um, is attached to it a stigma that, that you're you're doing an excellent job of, of working to break down that barrier. But that also, that stigma isn't just a population stigma. It's an internal stigma mm. as well. It's the person. So, you know, your initial question about why is that first step so hard, it, it can be their own person stigma about the disease that they're facing. And so, you know, unlike cancer, uh, sometimes the, the addiction disease can come with behaviors and, and those behaviors can, can draw... Uh, that that stigma. And so so that's why the hardest step. Yeah. Thank you. I want to add to that, Val, because, you know, a lot of times people forget that this is a disease. Right. 
and that it really is like cancer in that regard. The thinking being that, oh, well, this is just a choice. You're choosing to drink it. And, and that's true to a great degree. But we know there's lots of science behind the, the disease of addiction. That's right. And, uh, I, and so to your point, the, yeah, your, your podcast here, demystifying some of that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and educating folks on it. You know, mm-hmm. you, and if you don't know your ancestry, that, that could be a genetic thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's much deeper than just choice. That's right. And it does help to draw that comparison to physical illnesses of mm-hmm. how we treat people or ourselves if we are diagnosed with cancer or even or a broken leg yeah. versus, versus a mental illness. And, yeah. and that really puts it in perspective for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And alcohol use in particular, there I think that is just a it's a funkier thing to discuss because people have such varied relationships with it. Yeah. And and it's so individualized to an extent, right? Like what someone's kind of casual relationship can be with it, what it looks like. You just can't, you can't base your own experience based on just the numbers of drinks you have or comparing to someone else's relationship with it. Or can you guys just speak to that a little bit about, and and, in our society, how casually we do talk about um, it's five o'clock somewhere kind of thing. There, there are definitely uh, barometers of what is excessive drinking. And again, the, the CDC does a differentiation between binge drinking versus heavy drinking and what, what is classified as one drink um, and, and those sorts of things. And I think that that is important to know um, now more than ever because um, it is something that for most drinking in moderation can occur and, and there is no, there, there are no issues associated with it. But recently, you know, a lot of us have had those coping mechanisms taken away from us, you know, whether it was going to the gym or being with our friends or, you know, whatever it was that helped us relieve the stressors. And so, you know, data is really pointing to the fact that we're, you know, as a population more turning toward alcohol um, and substances as our coping mechanism, because understandably so, you know, there's, there have been so many that have been taken away from us. Um, and, and so I think it's important for all of us to take a look at that guidance and, and, and measure ourselves against it, um, because we may be on a slippery slope toward uh, alcohol misuse or substance misuse uh, without, without knowing. Alcohol has become such a part of our societal norm. I mean, you know, there's the cocktail party, there's the mixer, there's the networking, there's, and, and all of that comes with alcohol. Now, you know, take away the context of it and you're just at home. It's mm-hmm. like, well, it's five o'clock here. <laughs> you know? And so you, you're, you, in some respects, maybe the societal structure kept some of that in check. Because I might only have a drink when I go to this particular function. I only go to that function once or twice a month. Well, now I'm not going to that function. I'm just here. And uh, so it's, it's interesting how, you know, the pandemic has uncovered so many things. And so I think this is yet another piece of unveiling of kind of who we are as a society and as a people. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And then as things start to shift, 
how, how does our relationship with alcohol shift to or not? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. not, or not. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that, I think that's going to be very interesting and, mm-hmm. and just watching that. And, and certainly, you know, we, we've watched from the ABC board standpoint, the numbers, you know, spike and, you know, at one point it was at the beginning, it was kind of like, I think there was a hoarding for fear that, the stores were going to close Okay, and because we didn't know, you know, you know, so, right. we were, and so people were like, there was a rush on huh. the stores, but then, you know, it balanced out and now we're seeing the spike with bars and restaurants opening. So again, we're gravitating back to that social mm-hmm. context. Interestingly enough though, we're also seeing the, the, the retail uh, our store. So consumption, we, you know, I initially intuitively you think, well, as bars and restaurants open, perhaps maybe the, the stores will decrease. Well, they're both kind of high. Huh. <laughs> well, and just like, I'm sure you guys talk about with, um, you know, clients and patients of, of the role of sponsors and the people, you know, to call in certain moments. I think that fits for any of us of knowing what your needs are and when, and who your people are for those to meet yeah. those needs yeah. being in yeah. like one of you said, being willing to make that call. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's really powerful. What are you guys most proud of in your work or, or in your lives or both? That for me, that's, that's an easy uh, answer. I am um, most proud of the staff who work at Anubia and, you know, we have always said, and I, you know, recently shared this with Kiva, um, you know, we've always said that, the, the mission of, of what we do here is life-saving, but that was, that was really put to the test last year, which was to say, you know, with, with the ambiguous information about COVID-19, you know, are you going to stay open? Are you going to limit admissions? What are you going to do? And our staff stepped up in a big way, in the most courageous way, and they chose our clients, and they chose to come to work every day and to serve our clients and to see that 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 was going to be the utmost important, the life-saving work of, of meeting folks where they are um, was going to be most important. So for me, the, the biggest point of pride um, is the honor of working alongside some, some folks who were, have been and continue to be incredibly courageous uh, mm. in all of this. Yeah. Shout out to the yeah, front, frontline workers. Frontline. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, so easy to take that for granted and, and, and certainly no different here. I, I joined Mecklenburg County ABC board in the middle of a pandemic, ah, What a great place to be. but it really was a great time and great uh, season to start something new. And, um, and the team likewise is exceptional here. And I've enjoyed that, you know, but deeper for me, or for me is the opportunity to do the, the business model that we have. I mean, we're so much more than just, as they say, selling a bottle. The fact that we get to invest money back into the community and mm-hmm. partner with organizations like Val and others who are doing the credible work, um, that, that, that's my why, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to have a business that in some circles it would be triple bottom line. It's usually people, planet, and profit. Well, here, you know, we get to put that money back into people and and their wellness and their well-being. With the people we work with, at least, you know, I use this a lot, um, affirmations. We talk so much about affirmations and mantras and 
uh, I'm just really big on those. And for myself too, as, as we've talked about being able to weed through the heaviness and kind of ground myself in my day to day, do you all have any go-to quotes or mantras or wisdom that you turn to? So, uh, For me, it's uh, the serenity prayer, and a lot of folks are familiar with the serenity prayer. And for those of you who aren't, I'll I'll say it aloud, but um, it's called a prayer, but even those who who don't have a faith or or a God per se, will hear it as something where you're seeking guidance. And so it goes like this. It says, uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And why that's something that has really stood the test of time is is obvious. But I think if you think of it in the lens of today, um, the acceptance of the things that we cannot change today is huge. Um, But the courage to change our approach and, and to do all those things that we just spoke about, you know, seeking supports and learning coping mechanisms, seeking help, um, that's what we can do, uh, the courage, you know, we can have that courage because there's mm-hmm. a lot that we cannot change with our circumstances. One of my favorite reads has been Simon Sinek's Ask, Start With Why. And I uh, love that book, but I just recently signed up for a, a little daily quote service and mm-hmm. you know, from Simon Sinek. And, it, you know, I get it every morning and it it inevitably it is always right on time with what needs to happen or what I'm facing in that day and whether inspirational or instructional. Um, so that's been my go-to here lately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love to just sort of meditate on, on things like that, you know, yeah. breathing in whatever that is. And I find it so grounding. I wonder if you guys could just speak to, I know there's no, theme or consistency to it from person to person, but just what would you say about when people sort of recognize turning points in their lives and, and, and reach a willingness to seek support? Just what, what have you noticed in your work? I think, I think the important part for that uh, is that we all, we all have a lot of turning points don't we in our lives? Yes. Some of them are just, just ever so slight pivots. And, and, you know, what I was saying before about, you know, trying to seek out the guidance of what is um, excessive drinking and that sort of thing. The reason I say that is because it's important for us to, to pause for a minute and be present in what has occurred. And so what shifts, what even small pivots have we, have we endured in our lives? And sometimes just that awareness of what those pivots are, they may not be huge. They may not be a turning point per se, you know, they're not, they may not be the death of a loved one or something as, as huge as that, as we would call a turning point, but being mindful of pivots is really important. Okay. Any other just last words of wisdom and, or thoughts on anything we've talked about today? You know, for me, I just want to make sure that whoever is listening um, might hear from, from me that, um, that, that we're here and that there are other providers in this, this wonderful community who are here to help you. Um, and so please seek help. And, you know, a lot of it is virtual. So if you're concerned about um, COVID and rightfully so, a lot of it can be via telehealth. Um, there are a lot of ways to, to seek help. But if, if, but if you're struggling, please don't do it alone. Um, please, 
please seek us out. We're, we're here to help. Yeah. Yeah. For us, um, you know, I, I want um, everyone to, to know and understand that uh, Mecklenburg County ABC board, you know, my, my elevator pitch is we are a socially responsible community invested organization. And for me and us, that means it's much more than just selling a bottle. And we are, we have a swim lane in this community and we're here to hold down that lane. So who you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We're removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. Again, huge thank you to our sponsor, Blooming Smiles Pediatric Dentistry. Just check out the Google reviews for Dr. Arpita Patel to see how great she is with kids. They truly offer a holistic approach to ensure for every patient the well-being of mind, body, and spirit.